Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. You know, the beauty of Twitter, of all social media, is that it allows people to share their opinion. Uh, The problem with Twitter, with all social media, is that everyone's got an opinion. In the end, I I don't mind. Because very often, you can find something that that is of value. Unfortunately for us, uh, more often than not, you find just a radicalness an unnecessary radicalness and one of those places you find it is in this decision that came down from the Supreme Court a 6-3 decision that strikes down New York's May issue carry laws doesn't stop them from having a permit it stops them from asking well why do you need a firearm You don't have to prove your rights. You are entitled to them should clearly be the watchword. Yet there are many people desperate to say that shouldn't be, including the governor of New York. Having what I simply see as a a conversation where I disagree, where I don't believe they are looking at the, the law or the Constitution, they're looking at their emotions. Then you have the people who tell you, uh, so you like dead kids. Twitter's a dumpster fire. Doesn't mean every now and then you can't get a good roasted marshmallow out of it. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is so good to be with you. Cam Edwards joins us right now. He is the editor-in-chief of BearingArms.com, a long time uh, Second Amendment supporter and uh, Second Amendment writer uh, and analyst. Uh, he goes through the, these laws uh, with a fine-tooth comb, but what he is is uh, an understander of how these things are, are playing culturally and how what it is that we can expect from this decision. First, let's go over your take on the decision. 6-3, the opinion written by uh, Clarence Thomas, uh, discussing not only uh, that you, can you not ask, uh, you know, what is your need, but utilizing both the Second and Fourteenth Amendment in coming up with his decision. Yeah, this is huge, Tony. And uh, by the way, appreciate the invite because you're not going to get uh, this analysis on Twitter because it is a dumpster fire, and I'm not there. Uh, I'll roast my marshmallows by my campfire. So this is a big decision in a couple of ways. First, for the seven or eight May issue states, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, they've been told can't can't ask you know for a justifiable need or uh, require people to demonstrate good cause to carry. You have a right to bear arms in self-defense outside of the home. You have a right. That's what the Second Amendment means. That's what the Supreme Court said today. So that takes these May issue laws off the books, not only in New York, but in California, in New Jersey, in Maryland, Massachusetts, and a uh, Hawaii, a couple of other states as well. Uh, and that is huge news for the tens of millions of Americans who have been denied access to the right to carry a firearm in self-defense. But, but gun owners around the country – I think should be celebrating this law, not just those who live in May issue states, because Justice Thomas, in this 6-3 decision, laid out the test that lower courts need to use. He didn't make this optional. He said, this is the test that you should be using. And it's not this two-tiered step where, 
first we decide if the Second Amendment rights of individuals have been implicated, and then we decide whether or not it's okay to implicate those rights. No. He says the test that you must use is the – got to look at the history. Uh, you got to look at the text of the Second Amendment. You have to look at the tradition of the right to keep and bear arms in the United States. And if there is no historic analog to these gun control laws that are being challenged, well, then those gun control laws have to go away. And I got to tell you, Tony, I mean, I think this is great news for gun owners when it comes to bans on so-called assault weapons, bans on large capacity magazines. We don't have any historic analog for those things. Nobody tried to ban the Winchester repeating rifle when it was first introduced. There was no 19th century version of the Brady campaign out there banning revolvers when Samuel Colt brought his uh, Colt Navy to market. Right. These are arms that were in common use just as today. AR-15s and magazines have, you know, firearms that can hold 17 rounds. They're in common use as well. So even though this case was dealing with the right to carry, it's going to have major implications for a lot of gun control laws that are currently on the books. Now, it's funny you, you, you brought this up. I was discussing this earlier. And if you missed my conversation with a Guy Relford, uh, Second Amendment uh, lawyer, RelfordLaw.com, I'll share it with you uh, in, in the next hour. And specifically to this idea of the musket, it was Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, blasting this and saying that, you know, the, the Second Amendment uh, applies to muskets. It was Justice Alito who actually wrote a response to the dissent, which I don't know how often that happens, uh, saying that arms, the, the, the Second Amendment says you have the right to keep and bear arms. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Arms does not refer to arms of the 18th century. It refers to arms, meaning whatever it is uh, available today. And so it plays into this conversation that Alito is, is ha that, that Justice Thomas was having. But you see the response on social media, and the response on social media is one based on some people's view of culture. We have 19 children murdered in Uvalde. We had 10 people murdered in Buffalo. We've seen some absolutely horrific things happen in the United States of America in, in these what we call mass shootings. And so they believe that the answer is you shouldn't be able to have a firearm. And their argument is how could the court do this in light of all these things? But isn't the conversation what makes the court so special is that they're able to engage this conversation even in the light of all these things? Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, look, let, let's be honest here. Um Rob Elementary was a gun-free zone, right? And uh, the Topps uh, Grocery Store in Buffalo, New York, I don't know if firearms were prohibited there, uh, but that 18-year-old wasn't lawfully carrying his rifle when he walked into the grocery store because under New York law, there is no open carry of rifles. So, you know, to say that the right to carry is somehow implicated in those mass murders is absolutely absurd. I would point to the FBI. They released a report just a few weeks ago on active shooter incidents in the United States last year, and they found that of the 61 incidents, four of them were stopped by armed citizens. So, you know, the, again, <laughs> we're talking about the right of self-defense. It's not a right to carry a gun to go murder somebody. It's not the right to carry a firearm to do a drive-by. It is the right to bear arms to protect yourself from those who would do you harm. And what we have seen already is that in at least some states where the right to carry is recognized, armed citizens are able to put a stop to these types of attacks. 
I'm not aware of any concealed carry holder who's actually gone out and committed one of these attacks, but I know of several who've stopped them. So I would put it right back on those folks who say, oh, how can we do this? Well, the reason why is because, A, we have a constitutional right, and you can amend the Constitution. If you think the Second Amendment is outdated and old and should go away, try to amend it. I don't think you're going to be successful, but go ahead and make that effort. But the Supreme Court is not supposed to just rewrite the Bill of Rights to exclude you know, uh, fundamental protections like the right to keep and bear arms. That would be wrong of them to do so. They did not do so. In fact, they did the opposite. They recognized what the plain text of the Second Amendment actually says and what and it that, means. And that is what matters. They're not supposed to play into the whims. They're supposed to uh, engage the text. Talking to Cam Edwards of BearingArms.com. You have the, the piece out. You should go check it out, everybody. BearingArms.com. Anti-gun Democrats lash out after SCOTUS decision striking down may issue carry laws. And you have a couple of the tweets here. Let me go through them one at a time with you. Get your thoughts. Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, uh, when he is not at French Laundry spreading COVID, saying, A dark day in America. This is a dangerous decision from a court hell-bent on pushing a radical ideological agenda and infringing on the rights of states to protect our citizens from being gunned down in our streets, schools, and churches. Shameful. There are a lot of people, and Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, is saying the same thing. We're the state of New York, and we have the right to make our own uh decision, which is uh, strange considering these are states that believe that Roe v. Wade should always remain the law of the land, and that takes away the rights of of the states. Your take on Gavin Newsom's commentary? Well, I mean, listen, it's not a dark day. I think it was a very bright day. I think it was a dark day that we actually had states like New York defending these discriminatory laws. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, Tony, in California, and I've covered these stories, uh, these may issue regimes not only deprive the average citizen of their ability to protect themselves in public with a firearm, but they open up and I think create opportunities for graft and corruption. Santa Clara County, California, for example, the sheriff there, Lori Smith, uh, is resigning. She's not running for re-election. Several of her top deputies have been indicted in basically a pay-for-play scheme where if you wanted a concealed carry permit in Santa Clara County, you donated money to the sheriff's re-election campaign. You gave them iPads. Or, I, you know, you gave them something of value. We saw this with the New York Police Department Licensing Bureau a few years ago as well, where officers were being gifted, you know, tickets to Madison Square Garden. They were getting, you know, sweet tickets and then, of course, a lot of cash in exchange for approving these permits. That doesn't happen in a shall-issue system because there is no opportunity for graft and abuse. It's not discretionary, right? If you, if you meet the training requirements, you pass a background check, you get your license. In these may-issue systems, not only, again, are the average citizens being deprived of their ability to protect themselves, but it opens up the door for government officials to engage in this type of corruption. And we've seen it. It's not a hypothetical exercise. This is, this is actually happening. And now, I hope, it's going to stop. Now, I'll let people go to the website, BearingArms.com, and hear the commentary, read the commentary uh, from former New York mayor and failed presidential candidate Mike Bloomberg uh, as well. But on the Twitter box, you know, talking about how sometimes some good can come out of it, uh, David asks a question. Now, I know how to answer this question, but you're the expert. I'm going to ask you the question. The right to bear arms is for a well-regulated militia. Joe down the street isn't a well-regulated militia, therefore the Second Amendment doesn't apply. This is the argument that some are giving. What are your thoughts on this? Cam Edwards, how do you respond to that? I, I would say no. If you actually go and you read the text of the Second Amendment, the, the well-regulated militia that is necessary to the security of a free state 
is one of the reasons, and it is the only enumerated reason, why the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, because it helps ensure that we have a well-regulated militia that is necessary to the security of a free state. But it is not predicated on the idea that we have a militia. It is the right of the people to keep and bear arms that is the right. It's not a right to join a militia. It's not an obligation to join a militia. Uh, having that well-regulated militia is one benefit of the fact that the right uh, that the people enjoy the right to keep and bear arms. And if you go back to like Federalist 46, which is James Madison uh, writing about why the Constitution should be ratified, he even talks about how the people, and again, this is before the Bill of Rights, and he talks about the advantage that the people of the United States have over you know, the, the commoners or the citizens in Europe where the people are not trusted with arms. And the fact that here in the United States, we are, we do have the right to keep our arms, and that serves as a check on tyranny. Because if we had a tyrannical federal government, then the people working alongside their, uh, their, their elected officials at the state level, uh, you know, could serve as, a, as, a, as an armed check on the uh, tyrannical designs of the federal government. So, I, 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 you know, I'm sorry, that question has been asked, it has been answered uh, and no, it, it's simply not the case that your right to keep and bear arms is predicated on you joining a militia any more than your right to free speech is predicated on the idea of you owning a printing press. That's Cam Edwards right there. You should follow him on Twitter. It's a dumpster fire. But he, again, the good roasted marshmallow, Cam Edwards, E-D-W-A-R-D-S on Twitter, bearingarms.com. Go check it out and become a VIP uh, while you're there, you'll get all the information and you'll be able to engage these conversations properly. Cam, I appreciate you as always. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. The Dow is down 106. The NASDAQ is up 31. Netflix laying off 300 more employees. But don't worry. Everything's fine. Everything's just totally fine. I don't know what you're so worried about. Look, the White House has told me everything is super cool and peachy keen. Right? And that inflation, oh, that, that rotten inflation, that, that's, all, that, that's, that's all just the fault of, of, of Ukraine, don't you know? Given how inflation has escalated over the past 18 months, would you say that the war in Ukraine is the primary driver of inflation in America? No, inflation was high before, certainly before the uh, war in Ukraine broke out. Oh, 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 oh my. Oh, oh my, I, I am, uh, I, I was unaware that the White House has been lying to me this whole time. What do you know about that? That was Jerome Powell, by the way, the Fed chair. Chairman of the Federal Reserve answering uh, that question there. And I've got some more coming up from Jerome Powell. There's still also so many people responding to this uh, Supreme Court ruling today. It's a a show, uh, to say uh, the least. Caught this story about journalists. Journalists who reject the idea of balanced reporting. Now, I say honestly and clearly, I am not a journalist. And the reason that I state it is because it's important to note the difference between what I do as commentary versus the job of the journalist. 
They're different things. Journalism matters. Matters greatly. It needs to be respected. And I don't want journalists engaging in what I do. It's one of the reasons why I never call myself a journalist, because they deserve the respect of what they do. And if I start calling myself a journalist, right, different than, let's say, a citizen journalist, which I've been from time to time, and I've certainly broken stories from time to time, but in terms of a daily craft, not a journalist. And I remind people of this out of respect for journalists. I do commentary. But when journalists state that Republicans cannot be covered equally with Democrats, you have to wonder whether or not they're journalists. Joy Reid on MSNBC and uh, Matthew Dowd, an analyst, who I thought was running for governor of Texas for one moment, Uh, They say the media is too neutral in reporting on the Republican Party. Both sides are not the same. And reporters should tell voters that the GOP is a threat to freedom. Why would reporters ever say such a thing? Why would you want them to say such a thing? It's because you don't believe in the job of the reporter. I started by stating clearly that the reporter is an extremely important function. They deserve respect. And what I get insulted by is when they don't respect themselves and they don't do things worthy of our respect. Don Lemon, CNN, we cannot have a false sense of equivalency about what is happening when it comes to politics in our country. There's one party right now that is not operating in fact that has been misleading the American people, and that is the Republican Party, sadly, which I used to be a member of years ago. He, He was? I'm sorry, the Democrats have been telling me for months that inflation was transitory and that all inflation is the cause and the fault of uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now I hear from uh, the Fed chair that that's not uh, the, the case. How many ways do you want to discuss uh, the deception? What is not operating in fact? The Second Amendment should remain. We should have a strong border. Taxes should be low. Standard operating procedure. What you object to, non-journalists Don Lemon and Joy Reid, is that Republicans have a voice at all. You don't want them to have a say. You don't want opposition to your ideology. You don't want to be questioned. You don't want to have to think things through because it might change your mind. If it changes your mind, you lose credibility with an audience that you're okay with possibly not having a mind. I've got more, guys. So much to get to. This is Tony Katz today. You know, I shared this this audio a little bit earlier of Jerome Powell. He's the, the chairman of the Federal Reserve. Just undercutting the, the radical nature of this claim that inflation only exists because of the war in Ukraine. Given how inflation has escalated over the past 18 months, would you say that the war in Ukraine is the primary driver of inflation in America? No, inflation was high before, certainly before the uh, war in Ukraine broke out. That is absolutely correct. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. That is a fact. 
That's all. I think it would be silly to say uh, that what we have uh, been dealing with uh, in terms of Ukraine hasn't had some effect on markets. Fertilizer and 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 uh, a series of, of other things. But it's not like the, the lack of exportation of grain has somehow made it impossible in the United States to get grain. We've discussed this in depth that you, we grow a lot of wheat. We're all right. But inflation came prior. But the administration has been stuck on this story, this lie told to America. Jennifer Granholm is the Secretary of Energy and a bad one at that. And she once again asked about the economy, blamed it on Ukraine, and then was confronted with this statement. Framed uh, this war in Ukraine as the primary driver of the spikes in energy costs that's the largest contributor to overall inflation. But uh, the Fed chairman was on the Hill today, testified, he was asked a question, is the war the primary driver of inflation? And his answer was no. How do you square that? Is he wrong? I, I didn't hear what he said on that, but I think most people acknowledge that the price of fuel is a big driver of inflation. And in fact, they've put large percentages on it. And so we know that the, the war in Ukraine, having driven up the price of fuel because it it crimps supply. It's a total supply and demand question. We've got to make up for the million barrels per day that have lost. We will have a demand problem when China opens up after COVID. There will be additional upward pressure on supply. This is why we need, not just in the U.S., but we need globally more supply brought on board. And uh, so... uh, His his full quote was, no, inflation was high before, certainly before the war in Ukraine broke out. Well, I think... um, most would say that the price of fuel has exacerbated inflation. It's embarrassing. It really is. I mean, most would say the the Fed chair just told you it's not due to Ukraine, and you're and you're still holding on to that. That's. That's just silly. That is that is such purposeful in its in in its hate and 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 purposely deceptive, unnecessary. Yet here we are again with the Biden administration flat out lying because they don't want to deal with the reality. They don't have an energy policy, and they're okay with not having an energy policy. When you don't have an energy policy and you're not looking to utilize the energy we have underfoot to put into the world market, if you want to discuss it that way, therefore more supply means a lower cost if we're now going to be all of a sudden cool with supply and demand and capitalism and whatnot. When you're not willing to participate to the point where you're begging OPEC to do more, where you're looking to figure out how you can get oil from Venezuela, these communists who have their people eating pigeons. You don't have a policy. And therefore, it is your lack of policy that can clearly and easily be blamed. Jerome Powell got asked another question. This from Representative Rose uh, of Tennessee. Wanting to know, hey, um, canceling student loan debt, inflationary? Canceling 
federal student loan debt held by Americans could increase the inflation rate as much as a half a percentage point and would add $1.6 trillion to the national debt. This estimate notably also did not incorporate the possible effect that student loan uh, student debt cancellation would have on increased college tuition prices. Chair Powell, has the Fed done any analysis on the inflationary impact of these proposals to forgive student loans being actively considered by congressional Democrats in the administration? Not that I know of. You know, we would look to CBO and um, legislation. We, we tend to start to put it in our, um, in our, our models of the economy. Um, when we think there's really, really likely, uh, likely going to be legislation. Generally, though, would you expect forgiving 1.6 trillion in debt, whether it's student loan debt or credit card debt, to have a, an inflationary impact? Well, I, again, I'm going to leave that to CBO to score, and also the congressional, uh, the um, Office of Management and Budget. We do, we just routinely just do not score proposed congressional proposals. It would get us involved in political things, and, you know, why would we be independent then? So we, we the, to, to All right. All right. The, don't, 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 don't get involved. Don't get involved. You don't want, you don't want to uh, state what's going to happen uh, if, if you forgive that stuff? Sure. Sure. Uh, I, I believe the argument is it will keep more cash in the system, and there still won't be enough things to buy, and therefore inflation increases. I think, based on what I've heard from the economists over the past couple of weeks and couple of months, that's how we play our game. They don't want to score it. Don't worry, other people will. And I can appreciate the position that Jerome Powell is in. Jerome Powell's in a screwed up position. He's, they, they only have two abilities in the Fed, raise interest rates or lower interest rates. They can't stop the spending. Now, they could be opposed to printing, but if, if, if uh, the federal government says, hey, we print, what, what, what do you want them, honestly, what do you want them to do? That's the question. But this isn't the thing that has been uh, on my mind. The thing that's been on my mind since yesterday, I, I appeared on a... News Nation, uh, discussing the FDA making the move against Juul. Now, understand what we're discussing here is the Fe Food and Drug Administration specifically against a company, not against e-cigarettes. E-cigarettes remain, but Juul has been told you're no longer allowed to sell products in the United States. They have blocked... Uh, Jewel's application. They engaged a two-year review of their application to sell vaping devices and tobacco and menthol-flavored pods. Two years. You want to know how abusive the agency class is? That's how abusive the agency class is. The FDA has been told, or the FDA told the company, you can't sell here. The idea that Jewel, which was at one time the market leader, there was a time that Altria a major, major uh, tobacco company bought 35% of Juul for $12.5 billion. That was 2018. Today, that $12.5 billion is worth $1.6 billion. Sounds like Bitcoin. Now, <laughs> you're, you're going to hell. I, I'm no expert, but I'm pretty sure that's a loss. That's a loss. 
because they've lost market share. They've also been sued. They are the ones who are accused of, of making vaping attractive to kids. Now, if they were marketing to children, I agree that's a problem. I oppose the marketing of any uh, tobacco or nicotine product to kids. Without question, I oppose this. And I get very, very concerned about these things because of how it connects to cigars. You guys know I host Eat, Drink, Smoke. It's the largest cigar and bourbon radio, uh, terrestrial radio program of its kind in the country. We're growing. We're building. I'm a supporter of the industry, of the premium cigar industry, of this art form as I see it, that engages third world trade, that is with mom, utilizes and, and, and uh, builds mom and pop businesses across the country. And it's something that is engaged in by adults. There's also, uh, while you can argue the nicotine conversation, right? So the, the Biden administration wants to have nicotine reduced or eliminated from cigarettes. Uh, you can argue nicotine in cigars, but you also are not dealing with an inhaled product. So the idea that the cigar has nicotine is different than how it affects the body with nicotine. Just like the cigar is not an inhaled product. So therefore, the health effects are much, much different than that of a cigarette. The, the FDA, in their own study, that was, was it 2016? You can go to heartland.org and actually find it. Um, one to two cigars a day, nil health effects. They may actually write it as near nil, means zero health effects. The premium cigar, I, w- I wouldn't argue it as health food. I, I'm not making that claim. But it is not cigarettes, and it is not vaping. Now, we should be clear, I'm fine with vaping. Many people move to vaping to get off of cigarettes and uh, other issues there, carcinogens, uh, additives, etc. In 2018 or 2020, it was the FDA that said, you cannot have flavored e-cigarettes. And I said, this is wrong. They said, well, it's too attractive to kids. And I said, if some grandma out there wants a little bit of blueberry to, 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 to vape, she should be allowed to. Just because you claim kids, kids, kids doesn't mean you take away the rights of adults, of law-abiding citizens. You just don't do it. And of course the FDA is wrong in this. But if you're marketing to kids, you should expect to get punched. You should expect your business to get slapped. That's going to happen. The former FDA director, a guy I'm not a fan of, Scott Gottlieb, was on CNBC discussing this issue. Levels of nicotine. The plan that we announced in the summer of 2017 was to reduce the level of nicotine in combustible cigarettes to minimally or non-addictive levels to make cigarettes, combustible cigarettes, less attractive. At the same time that we removed some of the flavors from the combustible tobacco, principally menthol, um, hope, with the hope that combustible tobacco could no longer uh, sustain addiction. And right. the plan was to try to open up avenues for non-combustible forms of nicotine delivery for adults who still wanted to enjoy satisfying levels of nicotine. So we created an effort to try to get more medicinal nicotine products onto the market, different formulations that could be more attractive to currently addicted adult smokers, but also put the, uh, the electronic nicotine delivery systems like e-cigarettes through an appropriate series of regulatory gauges to make sure they were appropriately regulated, they weren't getting into the hands to kids and they offered an alternative to adults because remember it's the products of combustion that cause all the death and disease from tobacco right. not the nicotine itself so 
you're in favor of what's happening now, or, or are you, it's a step too far, bridge too far? Well, no, I, the plan, what they're doing right now is following the framework of what we put forward in the summer of 2017, but it was a multi-part plan to regulate nicotine in the combustible products, but open up avenues for the non-combustible products. They've done that. They've, they've authorized three different um, ENDS products, three different e-cigarettes, views from RJR and Joy, um, as well as Logic, which is the product from J Japan Tobacco. Now, there's a lot to take in there. Let's go through it. The combustible cigarette is what you know as a Marlboro, right? That, 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 that's a cigarette, and that's something they've been going after for a while to reduce the nicotine levels because they want to reduce the addictive nature of it. But you hear him admit that it is not the nicotine that is so much the health issue as all the other things within the combustible cigarette. Now he gets into a conversation about Juul. And it is with this, specifically this e-cigarette, although other e-cigarettes get to stay on the market, it is this that I get the, I, I take the most objection. Juul may be denied. I think the issue with the Juul device is whether or not the FDA is going to consider the legacy of youth addiction with that product and the fact that it was inappropriately marketed to children uh, and became the fulcrum of the youth addiction crisis with vaping. Their legacy? If somebody markets to children, you can hit them with a fine for marketing to children. You're not going to get that much of an argument from me. Their legacy means they can't be a legal product based on other legal products in the United States? Coca-Cola had freaking cocaine in it, people! Cocaine! The legacy of the product? Holy hell. I just want to discuss how right I was about Scott Gottlieb. Unless that's not his personal opinion, he's just engaged in where he thinks the FDA will be. You want to talk about how badly I want to do away with the agency class in America? Here you go. What kind of madness, nonsense, insanity is this? the the legacy we 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 do play in the upside down and the more i look at it there there's no arguments here that makes any sense at all none i will tell you i'm absolutely concerned that people are going to try and have this bleed over into other areas very concerned for the cigar market keep it here i'm tony Katz.